Amen. As you find your seat, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at uh, verses 30 through 44. This morning, Mark 6, 30 through 44, the title of my message is The Satisfying Savior, The Satisfying Savior. So if you're wondering who's this guy up here, I was expecting to hear uh, Pastor Scott. Uh, my name is Josh Hayes. I'm the new college pastor here, just stepped into the position that Michael was in. And uh, thank you guys. And uh, excited to be working with college students in a, uh, at a campus, Appalachian, where God did some amazing things in my life. I uh, met my wife here, met one of the guys that I ended up naming one of my kids after. Uh, and so just fantastic stuff that God did in my life during my time here in college. But one of the things I remember the most about college is the last four weeks of every semester, um, I ran out of meal card money. I actually found my meal card. <laughs> I had no idea how I kept my meal card for 13 years. Uh, I found my meal card a couple weeks back uh, and I was hoping maybe there's a little bit of money left on it, but no, uh, because at the end of every semester, I would go up to get a bagel or something after class and I would swipe that thing and there's like 10 people behind me and uh, insufficient funds. I don't know if it, if it still says that or you guys like find that on yours, you know, when your meal card money runs out. But I got a little bit of panicked um, because I'd been to McAllister's a few too many times. I had too many $87 lattes from the Crossroads coffee shop uh, on campus. And I lived in Justice right beside the market. And so every night I would go over and just swipe, 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 swipe. I thought, man, this is great. This is like a bottomless pit on this card, man. Uh, but when I ran out, I got a little desperate. So a friend of mine came to me one time and uh, I said, man, what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm out of money. I'm out of food. I'm hungry. He goes, listen, man, here's how you work this thing. You find a young lady, <laughs> you find a young lady who eats nothing but pita bread and birdseed. And he said, you just bum her meal card money for the rest of the time. And I was like, oh man, that's brilliant, you know? And so literally for eight semesters, I was here four years. Dad said, you got four years and then I'm done. Uh, you know, eight semesters, I made it to the end uh, doing that, that very thing. So maybe we have that in common, you know, already. Uh, not that you would bum somebody else's meal card money uh, necessarily, but maybe there's been a time in your life when you got to the end of yourself, the end of your resources. And financially, you know, there's too much month, not enough money, and you're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. Or emotionally, uh, maybe you're just spiraling down into a bad, bad place, a dark place, and you're lonely and depressed and broken. Maybe relationally, things are falling apart, and there's somebody uh, in your life that's been a big part of your life, and it seems like that relationship, there's just a schism and a gap there, and uh, you're just getting to the end of that thing. And you wonder this to yourself this morning, how is this going to turn out? How is this going to end? Well, let's go to Mark chapter six at the well-known account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Seminary, says this, perhaps no story in the Bible other than the resurrection confronts us with the reality of our Lord's deity, his godness, if you will, more directly than the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels, touched on every single time. Uh, but later, Mark tells us about another miraculous feeding that happened with 4,000 people and basically like the same grocery list, a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. But there's another element that I want you to keep in mind as we walk through this story. And J.D. Greer touches on this and uh, something he wrote about miracles, that miracles point us to the ultimate mission of Christ. Miracles point us to the ultimate mission of Christ. Or you could say the signs of Jesus point us to Jesus as the Savior. Signs point to the Savior. So miracles point in at least three directions. The first one is this, they point upward. 
okay? They point upward. So they authenticate his divinity, his deity. It's almost as if he performs this miracle and then at the bottom right-hand corner of the canvas, kind of looking your way, my left, he, he paints his name, Jesus, the son of God, son of man, ancient of days, as the Bible calls him uh, there on that canvas, authenticates his divinity. Second, they point forward. They point forward beyond where we are now to a time at the end when Christ has vanquished the enemy and everything is restored and returned to the way that it ought to be that God designed it to be. And then third, they point us inward. They cause us to look inside and see our own need, our soul's deepest need for salvation through Jesus Christ because, because the ultimate miracle here in this account is not the feeding of this hungry group. The ultimate miracle is not the breaking of the little bit of bread and the little bit of fish. This little meal, little meal, is an appetizer that is pointing the people to the real meal, the bread of life, who is our Savior Jesus. So we're going to walk through this text together, just read a little bit. I'll make a couple observations and we'll kind of read it along the way. So go to verse 30 and we'll begin. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to what kind of place? A desolate place, that comes up again, so notice that. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, the crowds, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place, there it is again, second time, to a desolate place by themselves. So this is the first time Jesus has turned his guys loose to preach and teach and heal, cast out demons, and they come back and they're pumped. I mean, they can't wait to just tell Jesus, Jesus, you're not gonna believe, man, this sermon that I preached, you know, 87,000 people responded and I saw this lady, you know, give her life to Christ and God freed her from this brokenness and man, this demon was cast out. I mean, they're pumped. They can't wait to sit down with Jesus and say, look at what God did. They're super excited. But there's a little problem. Verse 31 tells us there were so many people gathering in, a great crowd, so many gathering in, they couldn't even find a quiet place just to kind of sit still, wind down and debrief just a little bit. And so Jesus says, let's go to a desolate place. So important in the gospel of Mark. You see it again and again. Let's go to a desolate place. We're just gonna take some time, wind down, slow down, talk about things, debrief, you know, just do that. Verse 33 says, now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. The word in the Greek is a megas, a mega crowd. This is a huge crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a what? Without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So when the crowd see Jesus' disciples and him heading out across the water, they, they kind of anticipate where he's going. I played football one year, one year, seven plays. That's, I, was, I was the smallest guy on every roster in Durham County. They couldn't find pads to fit me at that time. Four foot eight and 84 pounds, kid you not. I uh, did a lot better in wrestling when everybody was my size. But, but, but they taught us this thing, if I ever got in the game, called the angle of pursuit. And it's where if this guy's running down the sideline, you don't run to the sideline and then follow him. You cut him off, okay? So that's what's going on here. They see Jesus going across the water and they're like, okay, we're gonna run around this thing. We can get there quicker. We're gonna beat him on foot to the spot. So they get to the edge of the water and these weary disciples in Jesus see exactly what's happening. This, you can forget about a quiet lunch break, forget about a little peaceful private conversation. There are thousands of people that are gathering at the water's edge watching you step off the boat. 
Step into the story with your biblical imagination and picture this. You're drifting toward the shore. You're one of these apostles with Jesus. You are completely dreading what's about to happen. You're just bummed out and disappointed because these crowds are expecting. They're expecting something from this Jesus they've heard so much about. But verse 34, Mark describes Jesus's response. This is crucial for us not to miss in this text. Mark describes Jesus's response when he saw the crowds. He said that Jesus saw them and he had what on them? Compassion. Now our word in, in English is super weak compared to what this word is in the Greek. I made the second service say it with me. I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna say it for you, okay? Awesome word. It's splogna, Okay. You gotta say it like that. You gotta hold your hand, splagna, okay? Because it means like moved with pity down to your guts, like down to your bowels is technically what the word means. Because the Greek thought, the Greeks thought that the seat of your emotions were your bowels. So Jesus wasn't just a little bummed out like, oh man, that's kind of sad. Those poor pitiful people, you know, gosh, well, let's go this way and we'll kind of avoid them. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. He was moved with compassion deep, deep down because he saw them as sheep who had no shepherd. Now this is an interesting insert here because if you look at the gospel of Mark, like 40 times the gospel of Mark says, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. Why? Because the gospel of Mark is a gospel of action and Mark is moving us along at a fast pace like an like a action thriller movie showing us Jesus's ministry. But it's an interesting place for him to say, time out. Time out. I want to stop you guys as readers and remind you of who this Jesus is. Because in the Old Testament, this role of shepherd was one that God applied often to himself. Important motif, important theme. Listen to some of the Old Testament references. God in Psalm 23 is the providing shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, when all the other shepherds are scattering the sheep and beating them and fleecing them, God himself is the seeking shepherd of Ezekiel 34. In Psalm 80, he pictures himself as the shepherd enthroned upon the cherubim, leading Israel like a flock. He's a kingly shepherd. So when you go to your New Testament now, you see Jesus pictured this way. In Luke chapter 15, he's pictured as the rejoicing shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. He calls himself the good shepherd in John 10 that lays down his life for his sheep. He's the chief shepherd of 1 Peter 5 and he's the great shepherd of Hebrews 13. So in this action-packed gospel, Mark takes a moment to call a timeout and connect these dots and bring together for us this little peek behind the curtain at who Jesus really is because we can't miss that. If you miss it, the whole thing falls apart. That's the point of the passage. Jesus is the loving, longing shepherd that wants to meet the needs of this harassed and helpless and hungry crowd. Dietrich Bonhoeffer perfectly describes the situation desperately like this. He says, when Jesus looked out on the crowds, there were questions, but no answers, distress, but no relief, anguish of conscience, but no deliverance, tears, but no consolation, and sin, but no forgiveness. That's a pretty desperate picture, isn't it? And what is the first thing Jesus does? Feeds them many things, right? No. What does he do? Teaches. He teaches them many things. Now, why would he do that? If you're the apostles, disciples, you're hanging out with him and you're gonna be like, Jesus, don't do that. Not right now. Like, fill their belly up first and then we'll work on their brain. Like, they're hungry. Take care of them. Don't you know that, Jesus? They're poor, hungry. They've traveled a long way. But I think God wants us to see something about 
what's going on here through Jesus' teaching. And I think it's this, that lasting satisfaction can never be found in the next meal or the next relationship. If you're lonely and you're looking to to attach that onto somebody else, they will fail you. They will let you down. It can't be found in the next award or achievement. You think if I just make it here, if I make that grade, make that list, if I get this job or that promotion, I'm going to feel whole inside. It can't be found in outward religious formalism like that of the Pharisees. And it cannot be found in your best efforts to get to God. Lasting satisfaction comes only one way. Through a vibrant relationship with the Father, through the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said. John 17, three, listen. And this is eternal life. Oh, Jesus, what is eternal life? Tell me what eternal life is, he tells us right here. This is eternal life, that they know you, not know about you, big difference. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, Jesus is seeking to meet a need that the people don't even know that they have. They think their stomach is the biggest problem. It's not their empty stomach, it's their empty soul. And Jesus understands the people and he understands what their needs are and he's gonna meet their most important need first and then he'll take care of the lesser things second. Verse 35 says, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, third time. And the hour is now late. Send them away. Don't miss that. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Send them away to fend for themselves. Did you catch that? These are guys that just were given the authority over demons, the authority to teach uh, on, on Christ's commission. They just went and did all these awesome things on their first mission trip, so to speak, and they're coming back and what are they saying to Jesus? Send the people away. Don't miss that. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Do you know how quiet it probably got on that hillside that day? You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus, that's eight or nine months worth of, of wages to feed this crowd just a little bit. And you want us to do that? What did Jesus say? You do it. You give them something to eat. He said, no, 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 no. Send them away, send them away so they can fend for themselves. Did Jesus come to send people away? No. What did he do? He came to draw them in. He came to call them to himself. But see, the disciples totally miss it. They totally don't see it. And you know what? You and I are no different. We're really not. How many times does God show up in our lives and do something awesome and and, and reveal his faithfulness to us? Great is thy faithfulness we sing. And then Monday, what do we do? Act as if it's all dependent on us and forget about his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Great is our forgetfulness. Amen, church? The disciples just came off of this mission trip. Great is his faithfulness. Great is their forgetfulness. They're like, send them away. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand what I'm doing. They said, but Jesus, we don't have the ability to feed this crowd. And Jesus is thinking, now you're getting somewhere. Again, why would he tell them to do something impossible in and of themselves? Go back to our three purposes for miracles in scripture. First, miracles point us upward. Scholars tell us 15 to 20,000 people are on this hillside that day. 
15 to 20,000 people, men, women, and children, are about to witness God in the flesh, Jesus, God incarnate. They're about to witness God in the flesh, lavishly provide in a way that only God can do. What does Paul tell us in Ephesians 3.20? He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Do you know what that means? God is capable of doing more than all of your mind and my mind can even conceive. We can't even come up with a plan that compares to what God is capable and able to do. Or second, they point us forward to a day when there will be no more hunger because we will be fully satisfied in his presence. In the the Sermon on the Mount, we're covering this in College Connection right now. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to the people there who were probably a lot like this crowd, poor, beat down, weary. He says to them, blessed are you, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for their next meal, but for what? Righteousness. And what's the promise? When you hunger for those things, Jesus promises, if you hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only God can provide, the promise is you will be what, church? Satisfied. You'll be satisfied. You see that word keeps coming back over and over and over, pointing us to the Savior. And then third, they point us inward, where we see our deepest need for salvation through Christ. So he tells the disciples, you take care of it. And they look in their hands and they see their meager ability contrasted against Jesus's matchless ability. Verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Like, if I'm one of these guys at this point, I'm like, Jesus, you crossing the line. Like, you're about to really get us in trouble. Everything was good. We were doing great. You know, popular opinions, good right now with you. But you're about to try this. If this thing doesn't happen, Jesus, we're dead in the water. And when they found out, they came back and they said, five and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Last night, I went to the store on the way in and just grab. I'm always at the store. I have five kids. I feel like I live at, uh, at the grocery store. So I grab some milk, I grab some bread. Like everybody when I come in thinks it's snowing, right? Because I'm milk, bread, eggs. I don't know what you're gonna do, make a milk sandwich or something. But, you know, <laughs> I picked up a loaf of bread and I'm looking at it. It's like that or something. And it's got a bunch of little slices of nice, soft, preservative laden bread that keeps it on the shelf for a really long time. You know, we're not talking about that kind of bread. We're talking about these little hard round rolls from a poor kid's lunchbox. Go read the other gospels. And two little fish. Not the like awesome kind of tilapia they serve like on the Sea of Galilee when I was in Israel a year ago. We're talking about two little sardines, like little pickled fish. Nasty. I mean, there could not be a more minimalistic grocery list that Jesus is starting with than these five hard round rolls from a poor kid's lunchbox and two little sardines. And he's about to give them the absolute feast of their lives. He commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. Note that, the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And the disciples have to be thinking, this is never gonna work. What is he doing? They look around at what they have and what they have simply does not add up. And the only way this thing is gonna happen is if Jesus comes through. I would say there's probably someone in this room this morning who's looking at some situation in your life 
and you're saying the exact same thing. You might not tell anybody. You might not write it on the connection card. You might smile your way out of here, but inside you're thinking, if Jesus doesn't come through with my doubt, with this financial situation, with this relationship, I'm done. Listen to the parallels of Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my, what? Shepherd. How does Mark picture Jesus as a shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. But what's going on right here? They're lacking. He makes me lie down in what color pastures, church? Green. Jesus had him sit down on the green grass. Do you see the parallels, man? Like this is an obvious picture that Mark is painting for us. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That word restores in the Hebrew is shuv. It means to return. It brings me back to where I ought to be. That's the forward element. Jesus is bringing people back away from wandering off into looking for satisfaction to other things and showing them, come back to me and I will restore your soul and I will fill you up with what you cannot find for yourself. What do you think God wants us to see? And that Jesus, this shepherd in Mark 6 is the same shepherd of Psalm 23. Loving, longing to provide, walking with you through whatever valley you're going through. So maybe you're like those disciples and you're looking at your life, whatever situation you're in, you're going, this is never gonna work. This is not adding up. I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I have good news. The miracle didn't happen in your hands, didn't happen in the disciples' hands. Who did the miracle, whose hands did the miracle happen in? Jesus. What'd he say? Just give me what you got. He didn't need much to work with at all, right? I mean, he spoke the world into being ex nihilo, out of nothing in the beginning. So like, this is a lot more than he had back then. He says, just give me what you got. So they take these rolls, they take these little pickled, stinking sardines, they put them in his hands and he clearly wants them to trust him for the outcome. But you know the awesome part that I love, the grace that's woven into this story Jesus could have easily, I mean, he's God, right? He could have easily broke this stuff and walked around and given it out to the 20,000 people on the hillside. However, after he prayed and began to break it, what did he do with the bread and the fish? He put it back into whose hands? Those doubting disciples. You know what he does for us, man? When we stumble, when we struggle, when we're faltering, when we fail, you know what he does? He takes what we give him. He blesses it and he says, now I want you to join me in what I'm doing. I'm gonna do this thing and you're gonna get to see it happen. You're just gonna ride in the sidecar. You're gonna see this whole thing happen. What grace. Verse 41, taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Do you know how long that probably took? I mean, it takes us 15 minutes to do communion in here. How long did it take to feed 20,000 people? And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate. And what does the scripture say they were, church? Satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. Jesus satisfied him on that hill. And then the cool part, they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces and other fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So maybe because I was a kid's pastor for seven years or eight years or whatever it was, but I just picture big burly Peter, you know, with this pink and green little Easter basket on his arm, full of all these broken pieces of fish and bread and looking down incredulously like, how did this just happen? Incredible. It's awesome. No one went home hungry. What Jesus provided 
was not just enough. It was what? More than enough. I mean, think about it. They started with a poor kid's lunchbox and they wound up with an entire cafeteria line of food. It's kind of interesting because Google told me this past week that App State's undergraduate enrollment in 2018 was just over 17,000. A lot bigger than when I was here, man. Championships do a lot for towns, I guess. 17,017 people. 17,000 people. Scholars tell us there were 15 to 20,000 people on that hillside, men, women, and children, because they only counted the men in that day. Men, women, and children. So imagine Jesus walking out on the Sanford Mall and he takes a couple of Chick-fil-A sandwiches, a little Chick-fil-A shout out, right? Takes a couple of Chick-fil-A sandwiches and he takes a couple sides of fries, not even the value kind that we buy when our family goes to Chick-fil-A, like the little bitty ones, right? And he starts breaking off little pieces of that waffle fry and breaking off little pieces of that chicken sandwich and the entire undergraduate student body is fed in one meal, just like that. That's what just happened. Listen, church, only God can do that. Danny Aiken says, Jesus showed his love and came to the rescue in a desolate place to satisfy the crowds. He showed his love and came to the rescue in another desolate place on a hill called Calvary to satisfy the needs of everyone who would repent and believe. He is the satisfying savior. The question is, where are you going to go to be satisfied. I mean, didn't Mick Jagger touch on this a few decades ago? I can't get no satisfaction. You know why? Because we're running to everything else to fill us up and it just leaves us empty and leaves us empty and leaves us empty. And so the point of this miracle in scripture is to cause us to look upward. Maybe you're struggling with doubt and skepticism this morning and the Bible you hold on your lap, you don't even believe in fully yet, but you're just investigating it. I would encourage you to look at the bottom of this canvas and see Jesus' signature painted right here on the corner. The God-man did that. Maybe you need to seriously consider what you've just heard. Second, maybe you need to look forward and stop looking down. I ran one marathon, one, I'll never do it again. <laughs> I ran one and the lady that was running with me, she was like a timekeeper. You know, she was telling me if I was going slow. I never went fast, but she was always like, come on, you know. She would say, quit looking down at your feet. You know why? Because when I run, I have a tendency to look down right? And that's depressing. That's really depressing because I want to see where I'm going, not where I am and where I've been. And the good news of the gospel is this, this miracle is meant to make you look forward, to stop looking down at your feet and stop looking where you are and say, Jesus, where are you taking me? Because listen, if you're a believer in Christ, your best days are out in front of you. There will be a day when hunger will be a distant, maybe not even a memory, just distant. We will feast in his kingdom. We will dance, we will laugh, we will hug, we will share. All of the brokenness that you live in right now that you're looking down at will be gone. And then third, maybe you need to look inward this morning and face your own inability to pay the sin debt that you've accumulated and trust in Christ to provide what you can never earn for yourself, which is a healed and reconciled relationship with God. Now I'll add this in fourth. Maybe you're just discouraged this morning. You're beat up, it's been a hard week. You're tired, you're weary and worn down. And you just keep looking at your lack. I just don't have much left, God. I don't have much left. Maybe what you need to do is take your little ability 
your little bit of resources, your little opportunity that God has given you and stop white knuckling it like this and put it in Jesus's hands and trust him for the outcome. So in just a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. And this little meal, little meal, little for Jesus, big to us, little for him. This little meal in Mark 6, you know what? It's like an appetizer, isn't it? It's not the, that little meal on the hillside wasn't the point. It was pointing them to a greater, more fulfilling, satisfying meal, Jesus, the bread of life. And so as we gather around the Lord's Supper table in just a moment, you're gonna hold a little meal in your hands. How cool. You're gonna hold a little meal in your hands. And this meal is not the point. This meal, this little object lesson you're holding reminds you of the point of Christ, our Savior, who was the bread of life, in whose blood we find remission, forgiveness of sins, and who alone can satisfy the deepest need in your soul. You won't find it anywhere else but in him. Let's pray.